the weekly wrap, a discussion of the events of this week and a few other things as well, featuring Tim Webster. This is Mike Denning and Tim Webster on for the weekly wrap. Welcome to the program. Hello, Michael. Hello, listeners. It's really good to have you on the program. Nice to be sitting in a chair. With... <laughs> We, we've been having a quite a busy week. I was going to start with uh, some things in the NRL. There was actually a, an interesting uh, article here. My plan was thwarted. Raiders star wanted to bring grand final to a halt. And a little bit about the invasion on the pitch. So I, I guess the interesting thing here is based on the um, you know the interesting result. Depending on whether you're you're an actual fan of the Panthers or whether you're with the Eels, quite quite an interesting thing to do. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think players uh, these days, and look, uh, I understand when you win a grand final, you want to celebrate, and uh, but some pretty bizarre things were said by the Penrith players after the grand final, and I thought to myself, well, uh, that's just a little bit on the arrogant side, and I suppose you can say, well, winners are grinners and the losers make their own fun, uh, but I wouldn't have even done that. But as far as the uh, mayhem is concerned, I mean, uh, players just, should start to realise, Michael, that they're players. Um, and yes, they're the entertainment we go to watch. Uh, but let's leave it up to other people to run the game uh, and the administrators to look after the game and the players play the game. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, look, it's an interesting thing where, you know, like you said, people tend to go outside of their, you know, I guess sphere of, I was going to say influence, it's more, you know, their sphere of expertise. And, um, you know, to yes. even have... Uh, you know, the, the fact that everybody wants to get in on certain things that maybe, you know, maybe the game should just be played. Well, exactly, mate. And, and, uh, that's my point. I mean, I love the game. I mean, I've, I've grown up playing it and watching it since I was a little kid and I've been a police supporter for over 60 years. Uh, and, you know, once upon a time, you know, the players played, uh, mm. and in those days they had a, they had a job as well, uh, during the week and they trained on a Tuesday and Thursday night and played on the weekend. And you didn't hear from them. You just went to watch them play. But now, look, I think the problem, mate, is that they're full-time professional footballers, so they don't do anything else. So they come to the club almost every day. Uh, they train almost every day, and they might get a day off after the game if they play on it, depending on which day they play. And then they're back into it next week. You know, one of my sons uh, worked uh, at the Roosters for a long time. And seriously, that's all they do. Uh, you know, if they're not playing, they're not training, they're in the gym. Or they're hanging around the club, they're having a cup of coffee, talking to people. And to me, I just think they've got too much time in their hands. Uh, and they end up, uh, you know, creating controversy in the game. And, it's, and they shouldn't be doing that. I mean, just play. Uh, I mean, the administrators create enough controversy themselves. Uh, one of the issues, one of, the issues yes. of the week that disturbs me greatly is, you know, kids won't be playing for a premiership until they're 13. Now, you know, I, everyone in rugby league, all of the players, former players, are saying that's just the most ridiculous thing. And I agree, and I hope they overturn it. So my point being, yes, players play, administrators do the administrating, and then we might uh, get a better game. That, that's a great point you make, Tim. I, I think, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. There's there's an element that there are too many rules and too many regulations that everybody seems to have to uh, abide by. Uh, you know, some are there for, obviously, you know, good reasons like, you know, uh, safety, whatever that is. But, but uh, you know, not arguing with that. But then when you get things like, you, know, you mentioned not playing a premiership until, you know, you're 13, that, that sort of excludes people from the game, ex- you know, gets rid of, you know, talent that could be there. 
Well, not just that. I mean, it's it's you know, I don't look. I remember being very competitive at the age of ten, and you know, you, mm. if you got a competition table, I mean, you want to look at that after your game on the weekend and see where you are on the table, and you know, try and play better next week and get on top of the table, and then you know, at the end of the season have a grand final. Now, thirteen is very late for that. I mean, I might almost accept that. Uh, if you're saying for the little ones, you know, the six- and seven-year-olds. But the other thing, though, mate, is about that. I mean, I used to really enjoy – I mean, I played for Bondi United in the Eastern Suburbs and oh, enjoyed, going to a ga- mm. yeah, enjoyed going to a game and, and watching the little kids run around at half-time. Mm. I mean, you don't see that anymore either. I mean, usually the only game that's on is the NRL fixture. And there's a bit of entertainment on the ground. It might be a bit of music or a bit of uh, mucking around or, you know, goal-kicking or whatever. But you don't see another game. And when I was growing up, you went early and you saw third reserve grade and first grade and you made a day but went there at midday. You yes. know, came home, at, you know, after the game at five o'clock. So, look, a lot of the things that have happened in the game have been for uh, the betterment of the game, but I think that a lot of things that have happened in the game have been to its detriment. I mean, and Michael, really, I mean, sometimes I think it's just people making change for change's sake and the changes aren't good. Actually, that, that's an interesting point you make. I, I think there, is, there are a lot of instances where change is made for change's sake and we, we sort of sometimes look at it in the guise of, you know, this is moving us forward somehow. But I just want to actually drill into something that you mentioned about, you know, the participation. Um, it, it's, it's certainly what we want is more participation. Uh, sometimes I, you know, I have a, a cousin that lives in Melbourne and if you go along to even some of the minor fixtures for the AFL, um, yeah, there are thousands of people in the stadium. Yeah, there could be 20,000, 30,000 people. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it would be great if we had stadiums packed for the NRL in the same way, uh, for very minor, minor games. And, and getting that participation, looking at the kids, you know, running on the field, you know, doing demonstrations, needs to be brought yeah. back. Yeah, well, it, it was a feature of, of rugby league when I started. I stopped playing and started watching mm. the game. And, you know, it was it was great to see little kids running around. It's a big deal for them. In fact, we did it when I was a little kid, you know, and you went to play at the old Sydney sports ground and God, it was a big deal for a young kid to go and run out on that ground um, and play at halftime or before the game. Uh, and, you know, you only play because halftime's only 10 minutes. You only play for 10 minutes. Uh, but yeah. it's just a feature. It was a feature. Uh, and often I'll go to the footy now and, you know, you might not even turn up until, you know, 2 o'clock or quarter past mm. 2. Uh, when the game's over, you go home because there's nothing else on. So, yeah, look, I think Rugby League has um, got some thinking to do. And I a lot of this is, you know, driven by being PC and, and woke and doing the right thing. But, you know, Rugby League's a contact sport. And whether you like it or not, some people don't. Uh, that's what it is mm. and uh, always has been. And uh, as, you know, I said earlier, sometimes I just think they sit down at the end of the year and think, well, what can we change this year? Well, how about you change nothing? Yes. Nothing, needs to be, nothing needs to be changed. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Pulse FM. Look, I was just looking around at some of the other um, things that have been happening this week, and obviously uh, we had, obviously, down at the other end of the week, we had the NRL Grand Final, but at this end of the week, we're actually looking towards the Bathurst 1000. There's actually an interesting article here about classic police cars do a farewell to Ford versus Holden, you know, era at Bathurst. Hmm. Yeah, look, um, <laughs> I have to say to you, I've got a, I've got a friend of mine that said uh, during the week on social media, given the price of oil and the situation with oil around the world, why are we even having car races? <laughs> I yeah. thought, okay. God, God you, you, you're, um, you're rev heads up on the mountain, would be absolutely horrified at that thought. But then again, you know, you see them 
every year, don't you, going up to the mountain, and it's pretty bloody soggy up there this weekend. So uh, they're stalwarts and they're diehards, and they and they love their motor racing. But uh, you know, I remember the days of Bathurst when you know the car that won, whether it was a Commodore or a Falcon, and you know back in those days there were mm. other cars in, in the race. Mm. Uh, you could go and buy that car yes. on Monday. But there's no way you can buy a V8 supercar because they're hundreds and thousands of dollars. But look, um, yeah, look, I if you touch Bathurst, uh, there'd be an unbelievable outcry. It'd be like trying to, you know, move the venue of the AFL Grand Final away from the MCG. I mean, <laughs> you just don't, you just you just don't muck around with Bathurst. With Bathurst, but you know, when you think about that, the classic police cars. Jeez, uh, you know, I remember. Cause I wonder if the cops ever had one. You know, the. Um, the, the Tirana XU1s that Peter Brock used to drive and you know those uh, terrific old Falcons that Dick Johnson used to drive. Um, yes, you know, the old, yes. um, what was it, the, the oh. GTHO Falcon yes, that Alan Moffat yep. drove. That was a revelation in its day. So, yeah, look, it's a, it's a lovely weekend uh, for the Revheads, the celebration of cars. and uh, Yeah, they're going to use a lot of fuel, but uh, I think my friend might be whistling in the wind to worry about <laughs> cancelling motor <laughs> cancelling motor racing because they're using too much petrol <laughs> exactly exactly which probably neatly brings me to uh, you know something that's very topical obviously the amount of rain that we've been getting oh, this new yeah, south wales yeah. government's now documented change uh to the make the impacts of raising yeah they've documented the, the changes to making the impacts of raising the warragamba dam wall less mm. in your area uh, obviously it's and well you know i'm in the hawkesbury too but Fortunately for me, I'm on the high side of the creek where I live, so uh, all I'm getting is uh, more water being added to the pools of mud I've already got. But you know, I've got neighbours neighbours that are this weekend moving their cows and horses up to mm. higher ground and worried again. I mean, the fourth time it's flooded in, what, 18 months? And the thing that troubles me, Michael, about that is uh, the raising of the Warragamba Dam wall has been an issue for a very long time, but all of a sudden it's on the front burner uh, because there's an election in March. Now, you know, I understand politicians, but if it's the case, and you've got argument backwards and forwards about it, if it is the case, and they've done all the due diligence on it, but the best way to remedy that situation down on the Hawkesbury is to raise the damn wall, well, yes, do it. Mm. Now, you're talking about an unbelievably expensive undertaking, mm. and you would have seen that Dominic Perrottet, the Premier, wants help from the federal government. Well, you know, it's a Labor government, and he's a Liberal Premier, so uh, good luck with that. But, you know, maybe if the case can be put to Anthony Albanese and Jim Chalmers, it's a great idea, then we'll finally, after all of these years, uh, go ahead and do it. And it just maybe then the people along the banks of the Hawkesbury uh, will breathe a sigh of relief ultimately. But it's, you know, even if they, they're talking about it now, it'll be many years uh, in the construction as well. So um, I don't know whether, you know, I'll see it in my lifetime, Mike, to be honest with you. Yeah, look, I, I, I think that's an interesting point you make about the fact that this will actually take time. If we're talking about structural changes within you know, the dam anyway, there's got to be yeah. Yeah, the appropriate amount of, um, you know, well, there'll be environmental impact statements. There'll be, All of that, yeah. yeah. So it, it does... Yeah, that, and that's fine. Honestly, that's fine. I mean, I, I don't want to see a destruction of the environment either. But, you know, the old expression, you know, sometimes when you make an omelette, you've got to break a few eggs. That, yes. So again, yes. again, I say if if you know it's the considered opinion of the geologists and everybody else who's got a vested interest that it's the best solution to flooding of the Hawkesbury, mm. then you know let's put a tick on it and go ahead and do it and stop talking about it because I've been talking about it for years. Absolutely.
Look, I think it's it's always interesting that because this has been talked about in so many different ways. Uh, again, as you were saying, I, I think there's an element of you get into almost like an analysis paralysis, and where we've we've talked about That's so it. much, yeah. and yeah. It, it's time to actually then you know put those actions, you know, well the things that you talk about into some sort of action. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, as I say, I mean, I've, I've just you know, just my near neighbours down here. I mean. You know, they're a stone's throw from my house, and we're on the high side of the creek, and they've already, uh, in anticipation or being worried about what's going to happen, moved their horses and moved their cows. I mean, all of these mass, and that's just something they've done, you know, what now four times uh, in under two years. And admittedly, you know, it's an unusual weather event, doesn't happen all the time. It might not happen again for another 30 years, but then again, it might. Uh, the way the climate and the weather is changing. So, um, you know, I mean, they need some sort of a surety along that Hawkesbury because, goodness me, mate, as you would know, I mean, you just clean up from one or try to clean up from one and you don't even get the clean up done. And then there's another one coming down, bearing down upon you. So, and, uh, and it must be just heartbreaking for people to know there's absolutely nothing they can do about it because if that dam fills up and it overflows, that's it, full stop, and they're inundated again. And it seems as though there's that element of being tired. I, I think, yeah, it is heartbreaking. I remember back to the end of 2019, we had plenty of smoke in the air and, um, you know, look, we're also quite lucky that we're quite high, um, but it also means we're within a bushland you know, setting. So we watched the fires, then there was the, the flood of 2020 and then there was this small thing called a pandem- yeah. pandemic in the middle. Um, yeah, yeah. And we've had another couple of floods since then. So it's all blurred into this half a year well it seems like years tim uh, I, but but ultimately it hasn't been years uh, it's only been a few um it's been far longer than than it seems anyway oh i tell you, it's heartbreaking you know you, you say to yourself uh what do i do about it and you know the answer has to come back well nothing nothing i can do about it just you know sit here and try and weather the storm if you'll pardon the expression and uh and hope that it goes away and Look, maybe uh, this weekend it'll be sort of okay and they're predicting a bit more sunshine early in the week. So at least we're not getting weeks on end of rain like we did for the last time. It flooded and you said to yourself, you mean, when's this ever going to end? So for all of your listeners down there, I you know, just hope you get through it again and just maybe, you know, La Nina will go away and we'll get some sort of a regular weather pattern. And, you know, I, and people say, oh, you know, you know, surely people who buy homes down on a river know it's going to flood. Of course they do. Mm. Uh, it's, and it's something they're used to. So, And uh, they like that, living by the river lifestyle, and why wouldn't you? I mean, mm. it's just gorgeous. So I don't buy into that argument. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, councils uh, and developers shouldn't have been able to build some homes as close to the river as they are, maybe. Mm. But leaving that aside, I mean, it's a lovely lifestyle, and you know, just because you happen to love that lifestyle doesn't mean you should be disadvantaged regularly, which, as you know, is what's happened in the last few years. Absolutely. Look, it is interesting that, uh, again, it is a beautiful area to live in. I think there's an element that um, we all feel quite lucky, actually, being where we are. We're sort of separated just enough from the metropolitan area. I think sometimes yeah. when when it suits Sydney, we become part of Sydney, uh, or the, the <laughs> wider Sydney yeah. basin. But but when it doesn't suit them, we, we're sort of sort of off in that semi-rural regional area, you know, somewhere to the northwest. Yeah, listen, mate, those lattes of the inner city can just uh, make their own fun yes. uh, because I know the people, I know the people in the Hawkesbury love where they live and I love where I live, so we're okay, aren't we? We, we definitely are. We definitely are. Pulse 89.9.
Tim, there was another thing just in the news. Um, I, I guess when we talk about ingenuity, uh, you know, within you know Australian context, we often look for uh, technology or things that we're good at. I noticed there was actually something on uh, one of the news sites just about Aussie armoured vehicles praised by Ukrainian soldiers. It's actually about the Bushmaster. Uh, just oh yeah, and and the interesting thing there, it, it's uh, yeah, we might not have necessarily a car industry, but we obviously make military vehicles. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought, God, I was, uh, I didn't know most of that, you know. I don't know whether you did, and I thought, well, how good is that? And I've known about the Bushmaster as a as an army vehicle mm. uh, of ours for for a long time. I suppose most people have, and didn't realise how well regarded they were. Mm. And uh, oh, don't get, don't get me started on the fact that we don't make cars here anymore. That's uh, that's an absolute tragedy. So when you rely on imports, you got to mm. you get what you get. But to, to know that you know that vehicle is so well respected, and I suppose that the spotlight's being shone on it, isn't it, because we've supplied it to the Ukraine. And, uh, yeah, no, it uh, made me feel good, absolutely. That, that's right. Well, look, I was going to say, uh, hopefully I haven't unpicked, un, uh, uh, you know, a, a nasty scar, but, yeah, I, I think you're right about the car industry. I often feel as though we've, we've missed something here that um, we could have actually invested more in, it seems as though there are lots of countries around the world that actually invest a huge amount uh, into car manufacture, and they're probably the only countries that actually have car manufacturing now. It, it all yeah, well, it's, willingness to do it. It's, yeah, it's a tragedy, really. I mean, um, I had an association with Toyota for hmm. a long time, and uh, they were the last to leave. Look, and in reality, as far as Holden were concerned, uh, they were propped up by the government for a while, forward to an extent, but in the end, what it was about was no one was buying the cars. Mm. Now that's changed a bit, and some of the uh, some of the Ford cars, the Ranger in particular, is very popular. Mm. But you know the problem is that none of them are being made here, so there's no manufacturing. Uh, we've got no car industry workers here anymore, and virtually everything we buy, other than you know a, sm- a few small EVs that are made here, and I mean really small and small mm. light vans and trucks that are made, you know, electric vehicles, we don't make them. So, you know, everything we we buy relies on imports. And then, of course, you've, uh, you've got exchange rates to deal with. And as you know, and everyone knows at the moment, the cost of cars is ridiculously expensive. And you can wait 12 to 18 months for a new car mm. uh, because they're in such short supply. And the reason for that is, see, you started me off now. <laughs> the reason for that is they're all imported. Yes. Uh, and none of them are made here. And just going back to that point, Toyota were the last to leave. They had a plant in Altona in Victoria. And they used to make Camrys here Mm. and export them, particularly to the Middle East. So we did have an industry. But in the end, after Ford and Holden had gone, it was just not economically viable for Toyota to stay here. It was cheaper for them to have them made, not only in their own country, as you would know, cars are made all over the place now. They're Mm. made in Czechoslovakia and Europe and Korea, made everywhere. So it was cheaper for them to do that. And honestly, it's been... You know, one of the great failings of uh, of government here is that they weren't able to come up with some sort of a package to keep the car industry operating in Australia. It's a tragedy, really. It look, it is, Tim. There's certainly the the wider context too that we used to actually build trains, ships, uh, a variety of things. I mean, we do do some yeah. of those things, but but it's interesting that you know, and again, not not on a political line. It's just governments generally. Um, I think they've missed something in not investing more in our local know-how. Um, if we can actually put a bushmaster, you know, in the hands of a different country because it's so good, yep. we can certainly do other things. Well, you know, cheap isn't necessarily best. You know, we've had all of the problems with the trams 
and the ferries, you know, made overseas coming here and not being fit to Australian standards. And I remember, and I think they might do a little bit up there now, but Carrington Slipways up in Newcastle used to build vessels. Down in Wollongong, they were built. So, you know, when you, people say, oh, you should buy Australian, well, we would if we could. Um, but, you know, as far as the New South Wales government's concerned, buying all of these things from overseas, and we get them here, and we, it turns out that they're not fit for purpose. I mean, it's laughable, really, if mm. it wasn't so ridiculous and expensive. I mean, to have ferries that can't get under a bridge on the Parramatta River, I mean, that is laughable. Mm. You know, you're telling people, you're telling people, oh, well, you better duck or come down, <laughs> come down to the lower deck before you get hit in the head with the bridge. Yes. I mean, that's, that's just so yes. stupid. It's not, it, it doesn't be a thing about. And the trams that weren't fit to purpose. So, um, you know, it's uh, making things in Australia. It's not that the people, we can't make them. Uh, we've got to tremendous artisans here that can make literally anything. We, you know, we've made some wonderful products and world leading products over the years, but you just need the support to do it. And if the support's not there, so I mean, if, if you're making, let's say you're making trams or you're making ferries and your government says, oh, well, I can buy them cheaper from Indonesia. Uh, well, that's what's going to happen. You get put out of business, and that's exactly what happened with the car industry. Same thing. Do you think that, um, again, it's almost like the idea of if there's a will, there's a way. I I think... We need to sort of look at the the idea that okay we can do these things, but but as, as you were saying, yeah, there are some complexities in that. However, I'd like to think that you know again if we start small and look at you know individual things like you know again you mentioned the trams and you know sometimes when they're not they're not fit for purpose, but you wonder where that final decision is actually made. Um, is there some way we can change the the way in which the decision making is made? Um, well, yeah. Uh, and look, um, you know, and I understand the whole concept because, as we all know, um, in many countries around the world, China in particular, uh, their wages aren't as high, uh, and they can get things made a lot cheaper. You know, as we all know, and you know, it's coming back to bite us in the bum now. Uh, people say, "Well, buy Australian," but you know, you go to Kmart or Big W and buy a T-shirt because it's ten bucks, and you get it home, and invariably it's going to say on the label, "Made in China." And that didn't seem to be a problem for a while, but now that we've got some poor relations with China, and all of a sudden it is. So people are saying, well, you know, buy Australian. It's all very well to say that, but, you know, with times as tough as they are, people's mortgages going up, cost of living, you know, just soaring through the roof, people are going to say, well, you know, listen, it's a very nice idea to buy Australian, but I can't afford it. Yes. So that's, that's that's a real conundrum that, um, you know, governments should be able to go some way to solving. Uh, and let's hope they do because, uh, mate, I, if I can, uh, I'll buy the Australian product if mm. I can. Uh, but if it's ridiculously um well, you won't. And uh, I think everybody understands that. Connecting our community. Yeah, look, a great point you make about cost of living. There's probably a number of things that we could talk at length about uh, as far as the the changes. Look, my little piece is obviously uh, to be able to buy as much local or or do as much locally as possible. Um, I know with just the recent years, making sure that we could actually eat at a local cafe, restaurant, whatever it is, just sort of keeping that money within the local economy and keep pushing back. Well, that's the thing, you know. We've got uh, here where I live, I mean, we're, you know, 40 minutes from the central coast. Mm. But there's a, a lovely little cafe. Well, there's two of them, actually, about 20 minutes from our place. And I'm just pleased to see because it's changed hands and this lovely woman took it over. 
and really improved it. And she's got great coffee and pastries and a little supermarket there. And you don't go there for your weekly supermarket shop, but, you know, everyone in the area goes up there, has a cup of coffee, has a sit for a while and, and buys a few little knickknacks that they need, and that'll keep her going. I mean, if we all did that, you know, then we wouldn't lose everything. Um, and it's for, for Australians to have a crack, have a go at a small business, and my God, this woman works. Mm. And every time I'm up there, she's there. Um, you know, it's, and it's such a, a big thing to run something like that and to make it as lovely as it is. And, uh, you know, we live here because we like the isolation. It's lovely to have that not that far away from us. Now, we can't walk out the door and go to the local cafe like they can in the city. Uh, you've got to jump in the car and go up there. But, you know, if you need something, if you need some milk or whatever, you don't have to go into the central coast. You can go up there and, mm. and it's a lovely spot. You know, you can sit outside and have a cup of coffee. So I agree with you. I mean, all of those things. I mean, when you can support anything that's Australian, I think we all like to. But as I say, when times are as tough as they are, that's mm. very difficult for people who are already struggling. It is, it is. Look, Tim, before I lose you for this week, I was going to say there was one more thing that seemed to be in the news. It's a bit of a topical thing. We were, you know, we were talking about uh, Optus beforehand, you know, just obviously with uh, hacking, but cybersecurity. I noticed in the press there's this interesting article about West Australian farmer scammed out of $16,000 after trying to purchase cattle on Facebook. Um, yeah. I wondered if, you know, again, just interested in your comments around, you know, the fact that we all have to be a little bit more vigilant. And um, how do how do we mm. navigate the the new the new way of, of things happening? Oh, gee, Michael, you know, I, I, I used to say to to my listeners, uh, be very very careful. And, and the people I worry about the most are the elderly because they see these texts and emails that saying, you know, you must pay up now, or you know, uh, the police will be round, and or you know, you log into your computer, your computer's about to die. Log in now, we'll fix it for you. Uh, and they're all scams. I mean, all of them. I mean, the ATO don't send you text messages. It'd be very rare for your bank to send you one unless they send it to you on your personal app and then you know it's okay. <sighs> what about the story, and you mentioned that one, and I'm just so pleased that uh, the cyber cops were on it so quickly. Yes. After the Optus scam, there was that bloke arrested who were trying to run a blackmail operation and they got him within a couple of days. So, you know, the, that uh, new police unit that does that, uh, I'm just very impressed with him. They were so quick to get onto him. Now, he might have been a bit of an amateur, uh, but they got him very quickly. But, you know, the thing that really worried me about the Optus thing, now, I'm an Optus customer. I'm talking to you now. I've got Optus Wi-Fi calling, and, and that's what we've got at home because uh, we can't have mm. any other system. Um, and Starlink, which is, uh, you know, is, which is a wonderful thing. Mm. So, you know, I've, I'm an Optus customer. I got the initial email. But I wasn't identified as one of the customers who was really impacted by it. But I know people who were. And talk about amateur hour. I mean, for a major corporation, uh, listening to the people trying to spin it all week, I thought, my God, you don't have any, you don't really have any idea what you're doing. Um, so, look, just, I just plead with, with your listeners to not get sprung with those because there are literally hundreds of millions of dollars scammed. Every year uh, from Australians and the elderly are the most vulnerable because they worry when they get one of these things. So they do, you know, they pay the whatever it is, pay up a hundred bucks or whatever it might be. And some of it is even more than that. It doesn't matter if it's five bucks. I mean, and, and what troubles me the most is you've got these, you know, shady people sitting behind a computer keyboard uh, devising ways where they can rip people off and they're you know, probably not even in this country. So, yeah, look, the Optus scam, I talk, I talk about badly handled. 
uh, for a major corporation. That was incredibly poorly handled. And on the back of that, like the bloke that was arrested in Sydney, you've got another, I don't know, probably a couple of hundred people trying to blackmail scam as well. So, you know, please, uh, listeners, be very, very careful. Very careful indeed. I want you to get caught. Look, some great wise words. Thank you so much, Tim. I guess that's a weekly wrap. Yeah, it's yes. Lovely to talk to you, Michael. It's uh, uh, been doing it with Catherine and Richard for lo- uh, such a long time. So it's lovely to talk to you, and of course, always a pleasure to talk to you, listeners, on a on a Sunday afternoon. Thank you so much, Tim. And look, until next week, go well. You too. All the best. The weekly wrap, a lively discussion of the events of this week and other things featuring Tim Webster. We'll be back next week.